A quick content note here before we begin this episode of What Am I Rolling? This episode's RPG, Field Guide to Memory, is, at its heart, a solo journaling game and deals with some mature themes. These themes include death, loss and grief, betrayal, cryptid and animal attacks, the breakdown of relationships, and there are some mentions of alcohol as well. Be kind to and responsible with yourself when listening, and do take a break or skip an episode should you need to. Thanks, and stay safe, my friends. Hello, and welcome to What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Hosted by me, Fiona. This week, I am playing Field Guide to Memory, a connected path game about legacy, wonder, cryptids, and the vastness of a human life. Designed by Yi Shim and Xingying Kuo. Your mentor, the beloved and illustrious cryptid researcher Dr. Elizabeth Lee, has been officially declared dead five years after she went missing in the field. Through writing your own field notes and documenting your relationship with Dr. Lee, you, her closest mentee, will continue her legacy. You can find out more information about Field Guide to Memory and get your own copy on itch.io. I'll add links to it on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. So here's how Field Guide to Memory works. Field Guide to Memory is a collaborative and narrative journaling game where you, the player, create a physical artifact of play that is completely unique to your individual experience. For 20 consecutive days, the player will receive between one to two journaling instructions, prompts, and images of ephemera relating to Dr. Lee. Through writing, drawing, and mapping out your character's experiences, you will explore the ecosystem of Dr. Elizabeth Lee's remarkable yet complicated life, as you explore your own feelings and your role in her carefully constructed universe. A quick spoiler warning here though, if you're planning on playing Field Guide to Memory and don't wish to be spoiled, stop listening now and come back when you're ready. One last thing before we begin. Naturally, there are times in this one shot where the players and myself, well, mostly myself, get the rules wrong or forget something plot-wise. For example, there are a lot of scientific language and Latin names for animals in this one, which I definitely get wrong. I know, before you start, it should be Antilocapra, not Ancilocapra. Just thought I'd put that out there now. Whilst we always endeavour to stick to the rules wherever possible, at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. And what matters most is that everyone enjoys themselves. So, with all that out of the way, let's play Field Guide to Memory. So, I am going to start by creating my character for Field Guide to Memory. Um, so this is quite an unusual character creation. Essentially, there is like an application form to be a mentor 
for, what's it called? I printed it out. So I have to fill out a mentor application for the Little Citizens Science Club, which was founded in 2010. And there's a note on it. Dearest whomever, thank you so much for being interested in mentoring the Little Citizens Science Club. This is the project of my heart, and these are some of the most brilliant and enthusiastic kids you'll ever find. Sorry about some of the questions. They had a significant guiding hand in putting the application form together. Love, Elizabeth. And then it says, Back in 2010, when Dr Elizabeth Lee founded the Little Citizen Science Club, you told her you were interested in helping out. She sent you this mentor application created by her students. But work piled up, you got busy and time got away and you never did get around to filling it. Well, now you're going to fill it and this serves as your character sheet. Okay, so I'm going to start writing it. So the first question on this application is name. What is my character's name? Uh, which is always the hardest thing I find. Um, I think I'm going to... Um, Amy Parker... Let's go for Amy Parker. And we'll spell Amy A-I-M-E-E. And then it asks for a photo or an appearance, which is optional. So I'm going to describe Amy Parker. I think the first thing you notice about Amy Parker is that she has incredibly curly hair. Unruly, some people might say. It's quite big hair, I'd say. Maybe it's tied back or um, has like a an Alice band or a headband to just keep it back from out of her face. The other thing you notice about Amy straight off is that she's always smiling. A big old toothy grin. And more often than not, she is in her work clothes. Um, because we'll probably go on to it as occupation is next. I think she's an outdoorsy sort of person. So she's wearing outdoor gear, which can be well worn. Probably is quite muddy. Always wanted to get her hands dirty, I think. Alright, occupation. So it did give some suggestions for occupation. What was it? The only thing I need to remember is that... That's it. So it says that since graduating or moving on from their work with Dr. Lee, my character has established a living in the field of cryptozoology in my own right. It has to have some level of academia. So it has to... So an aspect of education and stewardship of the natural world. And he gives examples of like park ranger, wildlife educator on TV, a field academic in theoretical evolution, a summer camp director, etc. I want to be one of those people at the zoo um, that educates kids, you know, when they come in on school visits. So like a, it's not really research, I think like, like a, a wildlife educator makes sense. So like a wildlife educator at the local zoo. Why don't we just make it easier? We'll say London Zoo. So I am a wildlife educator at London Zoo. It then says habitat as the next question on the mental application. I assume it says, like, what is my habitat as Amy Parker? The go-to thing would be saying, like, oh, uh, concrete jungle. <laughs> um, yeah, I think she lives in a flat uh, in one of those concrete um, blocker flats, essentially. So, yeah, urban jungle. All right, next question, it says field of research. So I think here, obviously specialising in my wildlife educator at London Zoo, my particular field of research would be reptiles. I think I'll be the person that's sort of handing out reptiles and snakes and like lizards and geckos and iguanas, that sort of thing for the kids to try out. So yeah, reptiles. 
Uh, next question it says is current location and in brackets it says city, state, country. Easy enough, I'm in London. I am London, UK. All right, so then it comes on to the list of questions. I've filled out all the bits of little bits of information at the top, but now I have questions for the, that the kids have put to me. So first one is describe your environment in one short phrase. And then they've given examples of southwest desert, uh, temperate mountains, large city or coastal town. Obviously, concrete jungle again has come back to me because of that bloody song. Um, I think maybe sprawling concrete forest. How's that? That's a little bit different. All right. Next question. It says, what are three things you always carry with you? Hmm. My pen knife, because it's just always useful for like cutting bits of rope and stuff. If I'm putting bits together for the habitats. I think the second thing I always carry with me would be like, there's just a big bunch of keys, all these different keys on a big ring, like a loop. Some for the habitat, some for my actual flat. Probably, there'll probably be keys on it where things I can't remember what they're for anymore. But yeah, a big bunch of keys. And probably, and this might sound like a little bit sad, but like work ID. I think I'd have like a key card or a, like a, some sort of form of identification saying that I am Amy Parker, wildlife educator. So yeah, so like an ID badge on a lanyard that says I work at London Zoo. Next question is, what is your favourite animal, in brackets, discovered? Um, I think for me, because I work at London Zoo, obviously I spend a lot of time with the reptiles and stuff, but actually being able to go out there, oh, I tell you what I would quite like. I think I'd go and see the meerkats quite a lot, because I think they're quite fun, cheeky chappies, essentially. So yeah, I think my favourite animal would be the meerkats. All right, this next question is, what is your favourite cryptid, in brackets, undiscovered animal? Mm. This would then lead into my love of reptiles. I think, oh, it's going to have to have something with many heads. So maybe like the two-headed lizard. Or even three-headed lizard. How about the three-headed horned lizard? That could be quite good. What's special about the three-headed horned lizard is that Two of the heads are next to each other. Oh no, it'd be like um, Zephyr Beetlebrox from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. One will be under the other, and then the other one would be where the tail should be. It's almost like a push me pull you from Doctor Doolittle, but then combined with Zephyr Beetlebrox. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. That's what I want. Next question is: Where is your favourite park or place to go camping? Ah, uh, this is where Fiona really struggles to come up with anything useful. I'll tell you the favourite park, because this is quite genuine. I think my favourite park in London for sure is Greenwich Park, because you've got the observatory up there and you can see quite a lot of uh, London for miles. I'm sure I've said this before on this podcast, so Greenwich Park. How did you first become interested in cryptobiology and how does it impact your life? Now, this is interesting because it's quite much bigger than a one-word answer for this question. So I studied biology at university and one day I was in the short loan section getting some books and I accidentally checked out a book that I didn't mean to check out, but it talked about cryptobiology in one of the passages at the beginning when I was sort of flicking through trying to find what I needed. And... It referred to someone called Dr. Elizabeth Lee. 
And I recognized that name because just was like, oh, she's on my course. She, she's in the in my list of teachers that I'll have for, for one of the modules coming up or one of the optional modules coming up. And then reading a little bit more about it and finding out like, it, like it was very vague, the book, the chapter on it just intrigued me. So I decided to go to one of her evening lectures. Just, you know, they were free to go to as just something of interest. And yeah, it was enlightening, I think. She had a little crowd of people asking questions. It was talking about some sort of um, sea urchin that hadn't been discovered for many, many years, but descriptions of it. And she put up many different slides of, um, of drawings. And what was interesting about it, these were all like sort of hand drawings of it of from accounts because she was saying such sea urchins were so vicious to alien influences at such a low level that people taking pictures or, or trying to sketch this or, or, or take some image of it don't hang around for long. A lot of the slides and stuff were actually blurry images of these sort of beautifully bright creatures that couldn't even tell their forms, couldn't make them out, like lashing out towards the camera or towards the drawing. I was sort of fascinated that there's almost like a whole world underneath us or, or living at the same time in coexisting that we know so little about. I mean, if you think about like trenches in the water, um, at, like deep sea level, we don't even know what lives down there. So it just fascinated me. And afterwards I discussed talking with Dr. Lee about the sort of things and we just became really good friends. And well, I enrolled in her module the next semester. How does it impact on my life? It just made me see things in a different way. The next question says, why do you want to work with the natural world? For Amy, working in the natural world is probably, well, often better than working in the real world. <laughs> There's something about animals and their ability to express themselves and communicate on so many different levels that humans just can't do. And being able to just see them work and create these family units, create these societies. And, oh, it's incredible. And frankly, it's more interesting than the everyday world of office and nine to fives and working and going home alone and, and eating a meal for one. There's just so much more out there and I want to be a part of it. Moving on to page two, which only has three questions on it. Uh, but the first one that takes a quite a big section of it is, do you have a pet? Uh, and then it has drawings of them. So it's got cat, dog, reptile, rodent, fish, houseplant, and then other. I would definitely have a houseplant. I don't think, unfortunately, living in this climate in London, there wouldn't be any pets allowed. Yeah, a houseplant or two or three. Let's say three. And they would all have names as well. They would be like... Alan, Steve, and Dimmock is sort of after ground force. <laughs> um, I will always have three. And then because I'm really poor at like keeping plants alive, I would replace them. But they'll always be like, you know, Alan, Steve, Charlie, oh, Dimmock, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, the second question is actually, if you have a pet, what is their name? So yeah, <laughs> I've answered that. And then finally, it says additional notes. Thinking back to why I want to work with the natural world, I want to be able to leave the world in a better place than I found it. So I'm very aware of conservation stuff and looking after or caring for animals that may look differently to what we see as 
good animals in quotation marks i don't think that's what i mean but like um like lizards and reptiles because they're so alien looking to people who have like you know a cat or a dog or even even a rat or a hamster but they are different i'm thinking like you know when you think of turtles and toy toises snakes that's a big one isn't it but yeah i think looking at these creatures um and caring for them providing them a better life and providing them better habitats for them to live and be a part of yeah i think i'm all over that so i think i guess because it's me applying to be a mentor so i think i would go into much detail about like the finer points of conservation why reptiles are so cool maybe a little bit about under the sea life you know that sort of thing as well Part one, the Institute. Day one, we regret to inform you. When you wake up, for a moment, you think you can still feel the dust caking the skin on your face and neck. You dreamt about her, and in your dream, she was hale and hearty. You reach for the little diary you keep at your bedside and scroll what you can remember from your dream even as the details sift away from you, as if for a sieve. Okay, first diary entry. I'll just pop that down. Using up to 100 words, record the details of your dream about Dr. Elizabeth Lee. Incorporating as many of the following elements as you can. So we've got the desert, a dim, rust-coloured sky, a, I'm going to say this wrong, I know that, Dipotamus antilocapra, Common name, the prong-horned kangaroo rat, which is small enough to fit into your palm. A landscape full of cacti and vertebrae, both as tall as houses. And a warm, sweet rain. Okay, so i got to document this. So here's what I write down for my dream. Hard to tell where the land and sky meet. Both stretch on forever and are of the same hue. A beautiful, deep reddish-brown colour. I walk in between cacti and silent vertebrae, each three times the size of me. Non-move, just stare. I follow the footprints of a sandbank towards her, my breath catching on the hot wind and being whipped away. She turns to me as I reach the top. As I hold out my hand with the prong-horned kangaroo rat to her, the rain washes over us. She's about to speak when I wake. Once you document your dream, you swing your sluggish legs out of bed and trudge into your kitchen. While the coffee brews, you shuffle yesterday's mail. Your hands stop on one crisp envelope. It's from the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, the museum and bastion of academic study that Dr. Lee worked for in the latter part of her career. Your fingers tremble slightly as you unceremoniously tear the fold open. The letter from the Institute reads as follows. Dear Correspondent, thank you for your letter inquiring into the work and belongings of Dr Elizabeth Lee. As you know, Dr Lee was a valued member of the Institute for many years and her current will bequeaths all of her work and personal belongings to the Institute. We remain the current legal recipient of her estate which includes her research. If you would like to request a specific document, you may write to the Institute's archivist. Please include a copy of our standard form 
for document request and archive access. A filing fee may be charged. Sincerely, Bethany Smith, Assistant to the Director, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. You read over the letter again after your initial pass, to make sure you didn't misunderstand. Dr. Lee told you many times before her last field expedition that she trusted you and you alone with her research. Even at the time, you recognised the deep current of frustration running under her words. You feel a flush of frustration warm your face as you begin to respond to Bethany Smith. Your chest feels tight. Write a letter to the Institute and mark it as part of your correspondence. Use up to 100 words, vent your irritation at their bureaucratic stalling. A short, terse letter here is entirely appropriate. All right, let's write to Bethany. Okay, it's a little bit longer than 100 words, but I think you get the idea. So the letter goes as follows. Dear Miss Smith, thank you for your letter responding to my initial inquiry. As you know, Dr. Lee was a valued member of the cryptozoology field for many years, and her work won many academic commendations for the Institute. By claiming her work and research for the Institute's own purpose, and frankly stuffing it away in a box to be reviewed in 20 years, you are destroying any legacy Elizabeth had for your own personal gains. Until the Institute allows full access to her research, I will not stop writing. I have already written to my fellow academics at Nature Journal to support my upcoming petition against you. Trust me, much more than a filing fee will be charged in order to set the record straight. Regards, Amy Parker, Wildlife Educator, London Zoo. After you finish, you set the letter aside. You know you can't send it the way it is. You have to sit on it for a day or two until you feel calm enough to write a professional letter. Your chest feels like someone is squeezing slightly on your ribs. You can't shake off the feeling. You decide to take a walk. You grab your keys and tuck your field notes into your coat pocket. As you step outside, you hear the bird song filter in through the doorway. The birds are out of your line of sight, but their voices are clear and you recognise from their cadence that they are trilling out a contact call. The lilting vocalisation birds use when they venture away from each other. Where are you? I'm here. I'm here. Day two, a life richly lived. Waiting for the Institute's response to your request feels like getting grit stuck inside your base layers while you're on a backpacking trail and can't stop to fix it for a few miles. You went about your chores slightly on edge, and by now the sun is setting and you feel a little irritable as you sit down at your desk to finish your administration tasks for the day. You catch a corner of a newspaper clipping stacked under various papers on your desk. Without thinking much about it, you shift things aside and pluck it out. It's Dr. Lee's obituary. <sighs> Dr. Elizabeth Lee, 8th of June, 1956 to 2nd of January, 2021. Dr. Elizabeth Lee, a scientist with the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions, was formally declared dead after her disappearance in 2016 on a research trip to find a new species that she had devoted her life's work to, the prong-horned desert rat. She was beloved by an enthusiastic and loyal audience through her public science outreach, 
becoming the face of accessible cryptid research. Her accomplishments included never forgetting a co-worker's birthday, serving as an advisor to the Little Citizens Scientist Club, and visiting 49 states. Despite her busy work schedule, she found time to volunteer with her neighbourhood community garden and a succulent club, where she made many lifelong friends. A memorial service was held on Friday at the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. You've handled the clipping so many times that the paper now feels thin as an onion skin. There are so many things I forgot to say. There was no possibility of writing everything that was Dr Elizabeth Lee in under a hundred words. Write one to three more memories about Dr Lee that you remember about her, and mark the entry as part of your field notes. These could be small memories, like the kind of tea she offered you when you first began work as her intern, or her favourite diner food during your road trips back from the desert. There could also be expansive memories, like what she said to you when you felt ready to give up on your career in cryptozoology, or how overjoyed she was when you received the milestone opportunity that ultimately led you away from her office to begin your own work. Let's just do one memory, I think. I'll take that suggestion about it being her enthusiasm for when I got accepted into my current job, essentially, as a wildlife educator at London Zoo. So I, this memory takes place in her office, which I can imagine is full of books. Um, the whole walls are covered in uh, technical drawings, almost like uh, biological drawings or atomic drawings, I guess, of different animals dotted around the place. There are cases filled with butterflies, beautifully preserved, maybe the odd animal skull or two on the bookshelves, which are crammed full of books and notes that she's made over her previous trips. At this moment, I've handed over my letter and I maybe have faked a little bit like, oh, it's not, you know, I opened it and I'm like, oh, mm. and then, you know, seeing it, like pretending not to have got it. And I hand it over to her. And I remember distinctly that as she starts to read, her face lights up as she reads the acceptance letter. Her eyes are darting wildly across the page, like absorbing the words and the meanings of it. And she looks up at me, we lock eyes, and she just suddenly embraces me in a huge bear hug. Like, and we start to laugh and start to cry tears of joy because I've finally done it. I finally, you know, got my dream job. And I remember how warm she felt, you know, just holding the hug and the smell of, um, like, pencil shavings and that weird sort of sense of iodine, you know, when you're for preserving. It's that sort of little chemical smell that you use for preservatives, I guess. But yeah, that's my that's my memory of her. And just that warmth and that joy. There's never any malice or jealousy or anything like that. She was always so supportive as a mentor. And I miss her as a result. Your own career diverged from Dr. Lee's after yours began to blossom. You remember how proud of you Dr. Lee was when you told her the news that signalled the end of your time together. Choose one of the following options below and note it in your diary. Was it the opportunity that marked the beginning of your own illustrious career? Okay, um, bit awkward considering I just, <laughs> I just told her about my opportunity, but never mind. So the choices I've got are: you received a fellowship to track and tag the Unectus marinus, a giant aquatic serpent known locally in its indigenous habitat as magui, 
you accepted a teaching position at Templeton University in their theoretical evolution department. You committed to starting an educational land trust with an old friend in hopes of starting a cryptid research and rehabilitation centre. Or something else. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with option three. It was my dream job to be a wildlife educator, right? But I think what would have happened is that the goal would have been to do an application to do a cryptid research and rehabilitation centre at London, a hub where there has been lots of activity, but there's not much in terms of a, a world centre. And I think with my accreditation stuff, and I just love London Zoo and I love London in general, having something there would be incredible and I would love to lead it up. Obviously getting the job there and keeping in touch, but then actually you know, putting the extra work and the extra effort in, we would have created a research centre, like a little hub, like with only two of us, me and this old friend. Yeah, so me and Harinda Paul decided to open up this this centre or open up this sort of little research station and we finally got it together and London Zoo were very happy to and our work grows strength to strength every year. Dr Lee kept in touch with you and recent communication with her focused more and more on her own independent research, her frustrations at hitting the ceiling of achievement at the Institute, and her worries that her research on the pronghorned desert rat would be unceremoniously cut off or fade into obscurity. I don't have hard proof that will satisfy the Institute yet, but I suspect the Dipodemus antilocapra populations are hitting critical lows, she said in one of her letters, and they deserve attention. They deserve to thrive. When you realised Dr Lee's research dovetailed with your own interests, you made a promise to support her. Write the answer to the following two questions, with only one or two sentences for each, and mark them as part of your field notes. What was the promise you made to Dr Lee? Why is her research crucial to fulfilling it? Well, we're both really into our research, and we don't want any of these, you know, possible populations going extinct if we can help it. There's so much to know and so much to learn about our world and we need to leave it in a better place. And that's what I've, I've always felt that. So I really want to help Dr. Leith with that. So because mm. I feel like saying I will continue her research if she died, that's a bit too, that's too obvious. That's too, uh, that's too metagamey as well, probably. I guess I promised that I would use all of my resources at the London Zoo hub of cryptid research and rehabilitation to help in whatever way I can. We'd always be at her beck and call, essentially, and we would support any findings and would be happy to, yeah, I guess would happy to learn any resources. I think me and Harinda Paul would have been talking about that quite a bit. So yeah, absolutely. I think we would lend our resources and stuff should the Institute prove to be um, unhelpful or uh, an obstacle to completing her work. It's like an endorsement, isn't it? So, yes, the promise I make to Dr Lee is to provide any resources or aid or endorsement in Dr Lee's findings as the official London Zoo's cryptid research and rehabilitation centre, as sort of an act of, like, a stamp of approval that we back Dr Lee in her work. Why is her research crucial to fulfilling it? Simply, she is the expert in her own research. It's a bit of an odd question, I'd say, but she is the expert. She needs to be credited. She needs to be put forward. She is the leading person in this field for the Dipotamus 
and Coelocapra populations. So absolutely any of her notes, any of the things, like it is more than anyone else in this field. So absolutely it's crucial. It's hard evidence. It's her work, her life's work. If anything, it's vital to, I guess her work also impacts on other fields. So like anything about climate change or, or things, you know, about protecting, preserving certain habitats for endangered species. That would be probably a better one, I think. You took the obituary carefully into the back of your diary. It is so fragile now, it will be safer there than on your desk. You may look at it less often, but maybe that isn't a bad thing. As you align the edges of the clipping inside your journal, the question floats across your mind, as it has for the past four years. So interestingly, there's no question um, that I can find. It just says, take a deep breath and say yes or no out loud. I guess, is it asking me about the question beforehand? That's really odd. Hmm. If I'm looking at the, the two questions I've had, right? What was the promise I made? And why is it crucial? Maybe the question is, will I let go of it? Will I let go of any of this? Do I need to move on? Is it worth the time? Is all this worth it? I guess that's the question. I'm going to go with that because there's no question written in this prompt. Yes, it's worth it. A hundred percent. So hilariously, I just looked at day three and right at the top, it says day two errata. So I think I think I know what this is. So it says part of yesterday's email was cut off. We are sorry. That's fine. Uh, the last sentence of the text reads, as you align the edge of the clipping inside your journal, the question floats across your mind as it has done for the past four years. The question is, do you think Dr. Lee is really dead? Wow, it's, a, it's quite hard. I, that is such a hard question. And I need you to say yes or no. And I'm going to say I don't know. I hope not. I think every fibre of my being hopes not, but it's been five years. Maybe no one's truly gone, right? If you keep their memory alive. So I'm thinking no. Let's go with that. No, they're not dead because their work continues. Dr. Lee's work continues. And that's that's all that matters right now for me. I think that works out well with the, um, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Because we need to continue Dr. Lee's work. So yeah, I just thought that was quite funny. I had only just seen that. <laughs> Day three, archived. What is your favorite morning body routine? Choose at least one of the options below and write and mark it as an entry in your diary. Make sure to note the number of sets and repetitions or time duration of your body routine. Play a note, if you're writing your entry at a point in the day where it might feel good to move around, 
feel free to do the character's movement routine. <laughs> Once you are done with the routine, take notes on them and drink a small glass of water. Ah, so it's one of the, so the, one of these options. Stretch, gentle strength training, push-ups, crunches, leg lifts, or your preference. Brisk, short walk, deep breathing. In brackets, four seconds inhale, hold for four, six seconds exhale. So interesting enough, when I'm recording this, I actually did a little bit of yoga earlier today. I've actually, every single day whilst working from home, we've been able to do a little bit of exercise. Um, I'm not a fan of, <laughs> of it, but it's nice to break up the day. I've actually started to enjoy yoga in the sense of stretching. You know, it's completely off topic. I think I've got better at sitting cross-legged. I'm actually quite a tall person, and my right leg, when I used to sit, I remember primary school stuff, I could never sit properly. And I'm, I'm now getting better and better at it. And actually, I've started doing exercises where I'm stretching that side of my leg and trying to cross it a bit more. The purpose of this means nothing. Like, whenever, <laughs> when am I ever going to sit cross-legged ever again? Um... Probably, like, not not for a work purpose. Um, but there is something satisfying being able to sit cross-legged. I'm not able to do the lotus pose at all. That's when you have both legs on one on top of each other cross-legged. That's impossible. I have no idea how people do that. I do quite like the deep breathing stuff and listening. I struggle with it sometimes. I really struggle to concentrate, but I do try. I have, like, various apps I try and stuff. But, yeah, so it says at least one of these options. So... That's a stretch and deep breathing. Yes, those those are the ones I kind of like doing, just to aches and pains and stuff, I guess, when I when I would get up as Amy and as myself. The other thing I'd like to do, which isn't on here, and I really love it, is having a little dance party. I guess it's not the first thing in the morning, because it says morning routine, but having a having a like a um, a playlist and stuff and just dancing around and acting it, I've done that. I uh, number of sets and repetitions and time duration and body routine it's very short 15 minutes tops like for all of it it's just a way to wake up in the morning stretch some deep breathing and a dance your limbs feel looser now you accustomed yourself to a sedentary life a long time ago and sometimes you forget that you're still an animal with animal needs the morning body routine helps you remember that it's good to move. During early mornings in the field, sometimes you'd get up to make coffee and find Dr. Lee outside her tent doing simple calisthenics or tai chi with practice fluidity. The memory stalls you for a moment, but you need to get on with your day. You start by checking your mail. There are the usual bills, a seed catalogue, endless grocery store coupon pamphlets, and all the way at the back of the box, a letter from the Institute. They replied to you quickly. You don't bother going back inside. Instead, you tuck the other pieces of mail under your arm, take a deep breath, and then carefully tear open the envelope to see what they want to say. Their letter reads as follows. I must say, before I start, I absolutely love the logo for the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. It's like a lizard with three heads. That's really cool. <sighs> From the desk of Ed Yang, it seems. Oh, okay. Dear Correspondent, Thank you for inquiring into the works and belongings of Dr Elizabeth Lee. We are currently cataloguing the contents of Dr Lee's office, which includes her research, 
with the intention of creating a comprehensive finding aid. This will be available to interested researchers and the general public. Research appointments may be made with the Institute when the work is done. We currently do not have an estimated timeline for the completion of this work. If you would like to request a specific document, you may write to the Institute's archives. Please include a copy of our standard form for the document request and archive access. A filing fee may be charged. Sincerely, Bethany Smith, Assistant to the Office of the President, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. Man, Bethany Smith is such a bitch. I'm <laughs> just saying that out loud. Ah, how frustrating. That is, I will say this as someone who works with academics or academia in general, that this is so typical. I'm actually really cross as a result. That idea of like research appointments may be made with the Institute, blah, 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 when the work is done, right? But we currently do not have an estimated timeline for this company. Like, ah, oh, such garbage. Ah, oh, so gross, so gross. The Institute's somewhat outdated website does not have a photo for Bethany Smith. Bloody typical. You know because you looked, trying to put a face to the person stalling your efforts to regain what you know is rightfully yours. You imagine Bethany in your mind's eye as someone with bland features and thin, perpetually pursed lips. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> God, imagine being described as someone with bland features. That must be, oh, that must be terrible. You set the Institute's letter on your kitchen counter. If these first two pieces of correspondence are any indication, you realise the process of reclaiming Dr Lee's work could go at a snail's pace. Losing momentum could risk the whole venture. But you're too aggravated right now to tackle the tedium of the task. You're reminded of the last time you were in the same room as Dr Lee, shortly before she left on the field expedition that proved to be her last. She was frustrated with the bureaucracy of the Institute back then, too. What professional obstacle did you recently face that you confided in Dr. Lee about the last time you spoke to her in person? What words of encouragement did she give you? Write your answers to these questions and mark them as part of your diary, aiming for about 100 words in total. Here's the thing, right? I know 100% what it's going to be because um, <laughs> I keep facing it at my own workspace and I'm sure other people have it as well. It is essentially lack of communication and direct, like, the word is accountability, but as we've now called it in my workspace, ownership. <laughs> so uh, I've written quite a lot. <laughs> um, I'm quite passionate about this, so I'm going to just sort of, I'll tweak it essentially because it's it makes sense. Professional obstacle I have working for London Zoo, not any other academic institution, is it used to be the lack of communication between departments. But actually, that is one part of it. It is actually combined with the role of accountability and responsibility for certain tasks. Say there's a big team project, like we're doing a huge, I don't know, push out across the whole of Zoo, like a big marketing campaign. We want people to come. Maybe it's a theme. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, uh, Mother's Day is coming up, right? So maybe it's like bring your mother to the Zoo Day. <laughs> And like, maybe you get special discounts, maybe, you know, you, there's photo opportunities, like, which one's which, you know, make sure you take the right mother home, <laughs> etc. But maybe you have bonding experiences, perhaps, so mother, mother, son, mother, daughter, mother, child day, etc. You know, that sort of um, thing. And maybe going around each of the apartments, providing stuff, maybe there's a set list of things that we can provide. But me and Harindapal are the only ones that ever consistently fill out these things. We're the ones that do the training. We're the ones that do, you know, provide offers and none of the other departments do anything. 
and it gets to the point where it delays things. No one likes being responsible. I'll say that now. Nobody likes being held responsible for stuff and no one likes to get things wrong or be accountable. But it's about having ownership over something. So it's okay, you are in charge of getting information about the, the new cryptids out and explain why it's important, etc. How And you fit it into this mould. You're like, great, I can do that. But then if nobody else meets the deadline, there's no consequence for, for making it. So it seems like, what's the point? And it just leads to like long delays, like long email chains, meetings, which could definitely, definitely have been emails and vice versa. So what words of encouragement does she give me? Does Dr. Lee give me um, when I tell her about all this frustration about um, accountability slash ownership? I think she empathises quite a bit. Like she has it all the time. But she says, don't worry about what other people are doing. Start by making waves. So lead by example, essentially. So she'll say, hey, be the person that asks at the end of every meeting, like, hey, so just so I know, what are the actions? What are the things? Ask for them out loud. Make a point, signpost it, and be unapologetic for it. Don't be that, don't say, I'm sorry, could you just do this? Just say, hey, for everyone's benefit, could we just do this? Because then you've clearly signposted it and you're making it normal. It is normal to ask for these things. You're not a mind reader. <laughs> I think Dr. Elizabeth Lee would have turned around to me as I was sort of talking about deadlines being stressed because people aren't pulling their weight, blah, 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 blah. And she said, remember, a lack of planning on their part doesn't necessarily constitute an emergency on your part. And that's it's mind-blowing. A lot of the times when we think about work, uh, work projects in general, we're always rushing because we need to do it because we're going to look bad. If things don't have consequences, don't make consequences for yourself. Why are you holding yourself up to such a high standard when nobody else is? Break the norm. Be that person who goes, okay, my work's done, but don't fret about it. Answer it back in your own time. And in the final part, there's a picture, a photograph you took of Dr. Lee's desk many years ago. It has her institute business card, a loose sketch of a pronghorned desert rat, hairbands, and a plastic container containing miscellaneous bones. As you do. <laughs> Day four. Elizabeth. In a balanced ecosystem, Dipotamus ancillocapra has many predators that run the range of a desert's biodiversity. Various birds of prey, reptiles, even opportunistic mammals. But their main threat, sadly, seems to be human activity. Habitat lost. Epic zootic pathogens passed from humans to the pronghorned rats. You wake up groggily, wondering why your bed feels so stiff. After a moment, you realise you fell asleep on your couch, listening to one of Dr. Lee's few audio note files that you'd already had in your possession before the Institute stepped in. The waking world feels muffled, as though wrapped in cotton wool. In your dream, Dr. Lee insisted you call her Elizabeth. The landscape around you sprang up with new growth and then melted away with decay. 
the landscape around you sprang up, up and down, up and down, cycling through the full stages of life and death with the dizzying speed of a time-lapse sequence in a nature documentary. Desert flora and fauna teemed around you both in the wake of Dr. Lee's path as she walked towards a small cluster of holes dug into a mound of earth you recognise instantly as a pronghorn kangaroo rat colony den. The animals seemed calm in her presence. The plants swayed in a breeze you cannot feel. Answer the following prompts in your journal and mark it as part of your field notes. In your dream, what plants do you see? Name three to four plants that grow locally to you, whether they are native or introduced species. Use scientific names if you know them well, but otherwise use common names. In your dream, what animals did you see? Name three to four animals that used to live locally to wherever you grew up as a child, whether that is where you live now or someone very different. Use scientific names if you know them well, but otherwise use common names. All right, okay. Um, so as you probably can tell, I have to get out my phone for this one. I'm going to have to Google because I've got to be honest, I'm not, I'm not au fait with plants in general. Like, it's been a struggle to even pronounce Dipotamus and Silocapra. Like, I would have edited out how many times I've had to say it properly. So I'm going to type into Google, plants are local to London. And what I'm going to do, I'm sure it's going to come up and it'll say stuff. And I'll have a think about what's actually near me. Typically, I search for plants local to London and it's giving me where to buy things. <laughs> Where to, it's giving me links to lots of garden centres. Very good. I found uh, gardenloversclub.com <laughs> and they've gone through like the top 10 flowers that you'd see in an English country garden. Let's go for like a couple of flowers. Oh no, it's plants, isn't it? You idiot, it's plants. Oh. All right, after much Googling, because <laughs> I'm really, I just don't know any plants. Um, I've decided I'm going to go take inspiration from thegardenloversblog.com. It gives you 10 ideal plants you can use to create a whimsical English garden. The Delphamon, I guess. Uh, so Delphamon, I think that's how you pronounce it, is a plant that can grow up to six feet tall, depending on the variety. It comes in shades of pink, purple, and blue and can add a lot of colour to your outdoor space. They like the full sun, and but they also do well in partial shade. Let's go for some... Let's go for some purple Delphamon. Okay, let's try it for the peony, the next one. So it's a flower that has very unique blooms and that will add elegance and lovely fragrance to your garden. Bright pink petals are ideal for attractive pollinators to your outdoor space. They can grow up to five feet tall. And finally, oh, of course, of course you'll have to go for some foxglove as well. Bell-shaped flowers that cluster together to create a lovely spot of colour. The blooms of this plant can be pink, purple or white. So I guess because obviously this dream I had takes place in the desert, so it is quite bizarre to see such English uh, flowers, or typically British flowers, I guess, um, that grow up here. So yeah, I think they're quite nice. So yeah, so it's actually quite... It's actually, I guess it's quite a, a fervent of colour, actually, in this dream. So much about, like, the flowers and stuff. And they're all quite tall as well. Yeah, like... Six, five feet in height for each of those. All right, on to the next question. What animals did I see? Um, again, I'm going to look to Google because I am terrible at knowing what wildlife is native to London. Well, it's technically where I grew up, so in the northwest. 
I assume there's going to be a mouse in there somewhere. There we go. Wildlife you might not expect to spot in the northwest. Ah, yes, of course, parakeets. Of course, parakeets, they're everywhere in the UK. They're slightly bigger than budgerigards, but bright green uh, feathers and uh, little reddish beaks. They make such loud noises. All right, I don't know how how accurate this uh, this website is. It says wallabies can be found roaming the wild and lake districts. An area of the Peak District known as the Roaches is where you find wallabies that have been hopping around for 70 years. What? That's insane. I'm not going to put wallabies in. That sounds silly. Right, here we go. Let's go for the badger. Classic. We'll get a badger in there. Big families, big appetites, big personalities. Badgers are the woods ruling clan, often occupying the same set for generations and laying out a network of well-trodden paths through the undergrowth. They're playful, house-proud and expert foragers. They're very noticeable because they've got distinct faces, like the white face with the black stripes across the eyes. Finally, we'll go for the bank vole, which looks like a teeny tiny mouse. Stout but speedy, the bank vole skitters around the woodland and dense vegetation looking for blackberries, nuts and fungi. It uses its large ears to listen out to its many predators, such as the fox and kestrel. So absolutely, we're going to have some bank voles in there. Okay, so it's a wide range of stuff, but again, unusual to be in a desert setting, I'd say. Dr. Lee never insisted you call her Elizabeth in real life. In fact, she seemed a little gratified that you always defaulted to her title, which you noticed because it was the only aspect of her that you remember being at all invested in the trappings of academia. I earned that PhD with blood I sweated out of my forehead, she once joked. My co-workers had better call me Dr. Lee. Many of them still called her Elizabeth. As you think about the dream you had, the details already beginning to fade around their edges as your waking life becomes sharper and more in focus. You glance over at your bookshelf and feel a wave of nostalgia when you see the spine of the book Dr. Lee gave you on the day you earned your bachelor's. Okay, and then it says, can you see a bookshelf in your home? Which I think is a very interesting question. <laughs> I would, one would assume that if you're playing an RPG game like this, then you would definitely have a bookshelf or at least a pile of books somewhere. So, can you see a bookshelf in your home? Walk to it and choose a book off the shelf. Imagine what Dr. Lee might have given your character as a graduation gift, and if possible, choose a book that is somewhat heavy, in brackets, a coffee table book or a hardcover rather than a paperback. Bring it back to where you set up your journaling station. Keep this book somewhere within reach for the remainder of the game. You will need it by the last week. Um, okay. Right, so I'm going to be honest. A lot of my books are either RPG books <laughs> or improv books. Not really suitable. Although, now that I think about it, I might have some world building books. I think, let me just go check. Hang on. The tricky thing is, is that the book I'm looking at, both books I'm looking at actually, that would be suitable for this, came out this year. So 2021. So it wouldn't make sense for... I guess we're going to just lie about it. Um, I think we'll go with... Um, yeah, 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 we'll go for this one. Okay, so I'm going to pick this book, a hardback, called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Mackenzie. And it's an absolutely gorgeous book 
recommended it to me last year in lockdown and I bought it and it's a it's basically a beautiful beautiful illustration book I think it's one of the most beautiful books I own and I'm so glad I got it yeah it holds a very special place in my heart I will keep it I mean I'm more than happy to keep it close because it's a gorgeous book so there I'll leave it there you open the book to read the inscription again but the book balances a little funny in your hand and the back pages open to reveal something you don't remember from before. Several leaves, taken from trees planted on campus, where you and Dr Lee would sometimes eat your lunches together as you discussed your internship assignments. Or she read you the latest fan letter from a kid who watched her PBS appearances. Or she told you stories from her time exploring the country and how she fell in love with cryptozoology. The colour of the press leaves are still vibrant. You imagine Dr Lee's hands tucking the leaves gently into the back pages, like a muscle memory. You think back to just two days ago, when you did the same thing in your journal with her obituary. You close the book again. You place it in the middle of your desk, where you will see it and remember. Gently tuck the leaves you collected in the back pages of the book you chose. If you want to make sure the pages don't get stained with leaves press, take a piece of parchment, waxed or printed paper and fold it in half and put the leaves inside the folded paper and tuck the entire packet into the book. Make sure the leaves don't overlap, and if they need more room, tuck them in elsewhere in the book. Once you've set your leaf pressings, your gameplay is done for the day. So, a little bit of a caveat here. I have actually been typing my uh, my journal. I've really struggled to write uh, handwritten stuff. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to go out for a walk, take some pictures, and then put those pictures of those leaves I find in the document itself. Day five, we share a mutual friend. It's been over a week since you sent your document request and archive access forms to the Institute and you wonder if your letter has got lost in their mailing system, or if you're being ignored. You have other work to do that needs your attention, but the unanswered requests sit, unsettled, in the back of your mind. Today, you see the now-familiar beige, oversized envelope in your mail. Finally. When you scan it, you immediately notice the signature is different. Instead of Bethany Smith's name, you see someone named MEL has signed it in all caps with a fat black marker that looks suspiciously like Sharpie. Dear Correspondent, thank you for submitting the standard form for document request and archive access. An invoice has been sent for the filing fee. As we continue to sort and archive Dr Lee's work, we have to also recognise that this is a significant undertaking, given the amount of office clutter, paperwork and miscellaneous collections in her office. As a result, our work has been slower than we would like, and likely slower than you would like as well. As a result, our work has been slower than we would like, and likely slower than you would like as well. Given your request for the totality of Dr Lee's research, we cannot accommodate your request at this time. However, some research is being made available to the public as a matter of public interest. Attached is a scan of some of Dr Lee's field notes from her early days of studying the pronghorned desert rat. Your request remains open. We will update you as more information becomes available. Sincerely, Melanie Sparrow, Junior Archivist, the Institute for Theoretical Evolutions. 
you expected to feel just as frustrated as you did with your prior two letters. But something about this one feels more sympathetic. The phrase, your request remains open, does seem written in a familiar tone. You remember your days working at the archives, and how isolated and lonely it felt sometimes. Maybe Melanie would appreciate a warm word or two. It seems the kind of thing Dr Lee might have done in your place. Write a short letter of thanks and appeal to Melanie Sparrow and mark it as correspondence. Spend up to 100 words, short and sweet and to the point, expressing your gratitude for their kind of response and request that they send anything else you might be allowed to see whilst your larger requests are pending. Once you are done, find the illustrations of the pronged horn desert rat first and do not move on to read the second note until you finish the prompts related to them. Let's talk to Melanie then. Dear Melanie, thank you for your kind response. I appreciate the time you took to inform me of the ongoing process in cataloguing Dr Lee's extensive work. Glad to hear that such due care and diligence is going into such a process. I'm grateful to you for sending me those scans and would request that you send anything else that I might be allowed to review in the meantime. Any findings you have, no matter how small, would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again and hope to hear from you soon. Best wishes, Amy Parker, Wildlife Educator, Cryptid Research and Rehabilitation Hub, London Zoo. Yeah, that, that will do. I think that's an all right. This one's nice, short, to the point. All good stuff. You gently pull the scan image of Dr Lee's field journal out of the envelope. Melanie put it inside a plastic sleeve, as though even the scan was worthy of safekeeping as the original. The illustration of the Dipotamus ancillocapra looks vivid. The scan quality is quite good, and picked up everything from the ink variations in Dr Lee's distinctive script to what looks like might have been a coffee stain at the animal's feet. So yeah, so they've included an image in the prompt and it's it's quite pretty if you can imagine like a small mouse essentially with horns that is exactly what it is some of the notes say scraggly fur like a wet rat <laughs> uh antlers that bend back almost as long as its tail can't really remember the antler shape pity pity i can't remember the antler shape really long tail maybe three feet seems unlikely Ah, as described by Pete, a patron at the Gold Nugget Casino in Reno, Nevada. Not a particularly reliable account, September 2nd, 1995. This is the cluster of a crab at the seafood buffet. I would, I would rather be at right now. <laughs> okay, that's quite funny. Uh, the second picture, desert rat pronged horn as described by volunteer interpreter. Ranger Haley something at White Sands. I, I don't know what state that is. That's really annoying. That's August 6th, 1994. Nearly hidden behind a small soap tree, Utica. I saw a pair of antlers emerge and then bounce away. Cool. So that's like two accounts but given by different people. Pete, who is a patron of the Gold Nugget Casino, and Haley, who is a volunteer something ranger it says interpretive ranger Haley s i'm guessing okay cool those are the things oh i should have just read the bloody meta descriptions so yeah these are two sketches from early field work try to read all of dr lee's notes and the illustrations 
This is the first time you've seen work from her, even previous work, in almost a decade. You do not have to note your answers to the following questions in your journal, though you can if it helps your play experience. If you decide to write your answer down, mark them as part of your diary. But think about them and put words into your mind. What do you feel as you see the depth and care in Dr Lee's work displayed in the drawings before you? Do any memories of you and Dr Lee come to mind as you look at this illustration? Once you have answered these questions internally, you may move on to the note that was also included in the envelope. Mm -hmm. So, what do I feel as I see the depth and care in Dr Lee's work displayed in the drawings before you? I mean, the fact that they're coloured in is something. Like, it's like a watercolour. And they're quite, yeah, very, very vivid. And drawn with such care. It's really interesting. And it's interesting to tell the difference. So, the... The description from Pete, the horns are like back, like bent back, almost like um like gazelles. Yeah. But in the Haley's one, they're like bent forward, like a stag's. Haley's one was done the year before as well. Like it's just <laughs> you get a sense of joy by looking at these things because there's the little notes like uh, unreliable patron. It's like little bits of um side commentary. I also quite like there's this note that says not really relevant, but there's a but this is the cluster of a crab at the seafood buffet I would rather be at right now. <laughs> I guess she was a bit bored talking to Pete. But these seem so personal, like little scribbles and stuff. It also is beautiful. Stepping outside the game for a bit, like clearly this was <laughs> I don't think I'd ever be able to create imagery this beautiful in field that's Yeah, the coffee stain's not over the picture, it's like over a little bit of the tail, so <laughs> I feel happy, like it feels, you know, it feels personal, maybe well, private in a way, but to see that such joy was taken in it and that she has a personality, it's very, it's very pretty. Do any memories of you and Dr. Lee come to mind as you look at the illustration? Nothing concrete, I'd say. I just remember times how she would just talk and talk and talk about doing field work and, you know, we'd have lunch together and she'd just talk about field work and talk about meeting different people who'd seen sightings of these uh, creatures. So it's all like a big mess of memory and a big well, swell of emotion. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. As you open up the envelope that Melanie's letter and the scan of Dr Lee's field journal came in, to place them back so you can file them, you notice something inside you must have missed. There's a small square of pale green paper all the way at the bottom. You reach in to fish it out. There's a small brown feather taped to the note. And with a rush of excitement, you recognise it as most likely a chest feather from a Parabutio leo, common name Sandy Lionhawk. It's technically a small griffin, but cryptozoologists currently classify it as a close relative of the Harris hawk, with similar pack behaviours and hunting habits. Dr Lee believed them to be one of the pronged horned desert rat's main predators. Who sent this to you? How did they find a lionhawk feather? Is it possible they located one? Or even a pack? You look to see if the name of the sender is on the note the feather is attached to. The air in the room seems closer, heavier, as you read the words typed onto it. Dear friend, we are a collective of fellow cryptid enthusiasts and allies. We share a mutual friend. Our goals are aligned with yours. Do not trust the Institute. We can help you. 
What else will Amy Parker uncover about Dr. Lee and her rich yet complex legacy? Is she still alive? And is the Dipotamus antilocapra, aka the pronged horned desert rat, real? Find out next time on What Am I Rolling? The What Am I Rolling podcast was created, recorded, and edited by me, Fiona Howard. This episode's player was Fiona Howard. This episode's RPG was Field Guide to Memory, a connected path game about legacy, wonder, cryptids, and the vastness of a human life, designed by Yeon Shim and Xingying Kuo. You can find out more information about Field Guide to Memory and get your own copy on itch.io. The theme music was 8-Bit March by Twin Musicon of twinmusicon.org, licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. If you want to find out more about the podcast, check out the website. That's www.wairpodcast.com. Fancy getting in touch? Email the podcast at whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at wair underscore podcast for latest news on upcoming episodes. And remember, adventurers need not apply. <laughs>